0: What a fascinating yet challenging time to be a leader. And in this Leading by Nature series, I interview pioneering leaders from diverse organizations, exploring future fit leadership and organizational development. I'm Giles Hutchins, executive coach, senior advisor and author of many books, the latest being Leading by Nature, which explores the inner nature and outer nature of the organization and the inner and outer nature of the leader as they journey toward regenerative futures. Welcome to the Leading by Nature podcast with myself Giles Hutchins and my special guest today Sinead Butters, CEO of award-winning housing association Aspire based in the Midlands of England. Thank you so much Sinead for being here with me today.
1: Thank you Giles, it's a real pleasure.
0: So, we're gonna dive straight in by exploring a bit about Aspire, how it's adapting and evolving amid these interesting times. Perhaps you could start by just sharing a bit about its reason for being, you know, how does it, what does it do and how does it create value?
1: Yes, SPY was created uh, 22 years ago from the the sale of the council housing stock from Newcastle Staffordshire to a separate company. And the company was intended really to borrow money on the open markets, on the finance markets, in order to invest back in that stock. So to bring those those properties back up to a reasonable kind of decent home standard. There were about 10,000 properties then. And over the years in those 22 years of most of which i've been there um, as a manager and then latterly director and then ultimately um, chief executive since 2006 so uh, 15 16 years this year um what we've kind of realized very quickly is that we're, we're a kind of an organism for change we're made up of at the moment 500 hearts and hands and brains and and energy uh, of the energy of all the people that we have in that organisation can all be directed towards an, um, if you like, an uplift for our communities. It can help create beautiful places, invest in our homes, but also help people into work and support people who might be struggling and creating homes and neighbourhoods that actually put people first. So our, our kind of philosophy for being is to ensure that our tenants our our customers and latterly since 2008 when we bought a training company our learners are all put first but that in the context of that putting our colleagues first to be able to create this kind of energetic inspiring I hope organization that, that really does use this vehicle to exact a better life and create change uplift and improvement for the people who live in the area that we serve
0: wow well i love this the organism for change and uplifting you know your environment the the the, the homes and the neighborhoods you've you've had a um, obviously we've been through COVID. it's been quite challenging for businesses in many ways and also tenants um you had a, a initiative that i think you launched in 2019 called people first um, which really gave you a bit of a mandate for change in terms of how you connected within the organization and also uh, beyond with your tenants and so forth can you explain a little bit about people first and why that came in and what that's done
1: yeah absolutely it's uh, it was something that i was i was involved in a, a a commission a national commission um run by uh some of the larger housing associations in the sector and the commission was intended to look at what housing associations what the shape of the sector is going to look like in the future and that concluded in 2018 that if we felt that the last 10 years had been difficult the next 10 years are going to be even tougher and the sort of things that we were looking at um this is before covid this is before brexit this is before the ukraine war this is you know this is in a in a, a time when we thought we'd been through the worst and I, and actually what we were saying that the tough times that we've had has created quite you know significant structural societal um challenges and those challenges relate to things like the average age to get on a housing on the housing market is 37 homelessness had tripled at that point and um is still increasing now that there's an increasing gap of in work people who are in work who are poor and the rich so that gap is increasing that we are living longer but less well so the the call on um on on care for the for, for older people is going to be you know bigger more more stronger and 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 more challenging um and that taken all together the rollout of universal credit still hadn't hit um poverty we you know poverty was a word we weren't allowed to talk about we couldn't use the p word and this was in 2018 so we concluded that because of that we needed to be the best we'd ever been so as organism organisms where we were the if you like the a catalyst for change, where we were right in the center of the eye of that storm. If we weren't brilliant, then we were going to fail for this next challenge. And then we then wrap this context around it that we have now. So that meant we were, we must be brilliant organizations to work for. We need to be thinking differently about how we engage our people, how we, if you like, how people connect with the vision, vision and mission of the organization and how, if you like, we use our resources, how we lean, but but, but actually deliver value, how we procure our services. that gives people a crack at the jobs that are available locally. So we keep that, that kind of pound local. All of those things from governance, being great at governance, being diverse, creating succession plans for our teams, knowing where our talent is, hearing the tenant's voice, it sounds a lot but we put our plan together and we thought simply we'll call it people first hmm. and so we couldn't have known in 2019 that the people first plan was the perfect plan for 2020 and beyond with covid with the way in which we're now working so it kind of felt like this is mine and it's it's my heart is is with this plan and therefore I think probably it'll see me out. I don't see myself changing the focus of people first. Why, why would you?
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, there's a lot there. And, and and as you know, because we've been working together now for a while, um, I like to talk about the sort of inner nature of the organisation and the outer nature of the organisation. So if we just use that through the lens of people first, so outer aspect first, the way in which aspire is engaging with communities um, is helping flourishing for people you know i know you're investing half a billion in neighborhoods over the next five years and you've got this patient capital um, that's there to help you um, create real and lasting change so could you give some examples of how you're providing impact at the local level
1: yes i think there's uh, i'd like to give two Two examples, really. One is that um, we run an Ofsted-regulated private training provider, so we probably uh, touch back 2,000 people a year in terms of training and employment and skills and hundreds of apprenticeships, and we offer those young people an apprenticeship in a local business and our connections with local business, we're active in about 1600 local businesses. So we we kind of like a sausage machine that helps young people who might have not actually had the best start in life, build their confidence, get their basic skills, get their maths and English get a kind of chance, we incubate them by helping them, if you like, uh, uh, work within a dummy office environment or within our own contracts so that they're supported and they've got their own mentors. And then ultimately, they are placed in an apprenticeship and then the success of that apprenticeship, usually 90% success rate that they get a job. So that's a very specific non-housing example. In terms of a housing example, um, we're on site at the moment with a 90 uh, unit, a 90 home, Uh, a sheltered scheme, state-of-the-art sheltered scheme. It's about to be um, let in the autumn of this year. It's uh, got all the sustainability credentials and it's, it's kind of, uh, it's replacing an older person's accommodation there that had no no lifts. If you can imagine you're on the third floor, you're an older person with mobility issues, so you have to use the stairs. Built in the 1960s with bats roosting in the kitchen roof, um, really not the best scenario we've spent 15 million on that it's actually on the ring road it looks stunning it's a most amazing new development that shows uplift for the town centre helps people return to a better quality environment um and no developer would do it because you don't make money on this but I tell you what you, you do you know you do deliver we deliver our people first agenda more clearly than ever when we're tackling the sort of things most people wouldn't go near because we can let these properties that aren't good enough and that's because there isn't enough opportunities there's not enough choice and there's too much poverty in our in our environment so we have to stand next to it and say this is not acceptable what are we going to do about it or we'll knock it down and build something better
0: So you really are at the front line of many um, structural societal challenges and as you say things are only possibly getting worse in many ways Um, and yet we can create flourishing in, in lots of ways. Now one of the things you've been doing which interests me a lot is learning how to listen with tenants more rather than sort of seeing tenants as just some sort of you know that something you're providing a service for actually sort of listening with them engaging with them um, helping them becoming part of the solutions and engaging them in which I think is very powerful I'd like you to share a bit about that and also then how you're also when we turn to the inner nature of the organization also creating a listening culture inside aspire you know helping people transcend fears helping people you know shaking up the traditional hierarchy a bit so you know using this lens of listening and connecting and creating more relationality first with tenants and then inside the culture
1: yes absolutely so um just before uh, lockdown in 2019 we launched a chat to aspire and we called it chat to aspire and we encouraged every part of the business including our board members including back office colleagues whether they're from hr or finance or governance we were all t-shirted up in the chat to aspire logo and we had we hired a chat Chat to aspire van (laughs) with all the logos and we went out into our communities and we kind of recorded and and met and knocked on doors and were open within our kind of our neighborhoods in in, in cul-de-sacs and in, in sheltered schemes and invited people to come to us and talk to us about what was important to them and that was what helped us create our kind of our neighbourhood planned approach. So we then build neighbourhood plans. We've got four neighbourhoods. And within those neighbourhoods, we bring all colleagues together, whether that's our our training colleagues, delivering apprenticeships, whether that's our repairs and maintenance, our improvements, our development, like the the, uh, sheltered scheme redevelopment, or our housing management, tackling antisocial behaviour, whether it's our money advice team or our wellbeing teams for for our tenants. We build teams that um, are focused in generically on the needs of that particular community. And um, we've appointed locality managers whose role is to kind of act as the sort of signpost and the kind of anchor for those neighborhoods so it's not it's by no means done it's one of those things that is kind of a work in progress and we learn and and develop it as we go we've got some challenges in terms of bringing kind of our repair service more fully into that kind of neighborhood approach but actually you know that's definitely the the trajectory of where we want to go to and flipping that inside the organization we've developed what we what we think is an agile culture so um, as soon as we had to shut down our head office we started to talk to our colleagues about the best way they wanted to work. And the overwhelming kind of desire from colleagues was to have this better work-life balance and an agility to their way where they work. I'm not a fan of telling people you have to be in the office one day a week or two days a week or Mondays to Fridays. I want to create an environment where people can go and walk the dog, they can pick the kids up from school, that they're trusted to do their job. I'd love to cut, say we don't have any hours in our in our contracts because it's about it's about what you bring to that to, to that environment. It's about your behaviours, your personality, your energy and your, your performance, of obviously. So we've created a a culture I think where we've um, we've put in place very strong kind of um, well-being support networks we've got well-being champions where some of our colleagues have nominated themselves as champions have been trained to have conversations with colleagues who don't feel like they want to speak to their manager but they've got things they want to you know share we've got counseling services for those colleagues who are at the front line and, and actually feel as though they, they get kind of worn down by some of the kind of extreme cases of poverty they see every day we've got counselling services for that we've got finance services as well so financial advisory services from the council for financial advisories I think it's called I'm not sure what the name is but we've actually got people in place who can help people deal with their pensions deal with their own financial problems so I kind of we're trying to do it I could go on as you can see we're trying to do a kind of a wraparound support service to help our colleagues like love being here and love what they do because we think that's better for everybody them, the business and the people who rely on our services
0: there's lots of very interesting things here I want to dive a bit into this sort of shift as you know we talk about this sort of shift from achiever into regenerative and uh, and the organization's machine into an organization's living system and that's the shift I sense you guys are going through so the more traditional hierarchy that perhaps you were still reliant on just a couple of years ago feels like it's starting to change you're shaking up that traditional hierarchy a bit there's much more trust in people um, allowing people as you say to to engage in performance rather than hours how they're showing up helping people transcend fears of course a lot of this taking on self-responsibility letting go of a hierarchy requires us to have trust to feel able to let go and to come to terms with our own challenges and actually reach beyond them So can you speak a little bit to that and how we work through those tensions, as it were, of change?
1: Yeah, I think that um, one of the things that I've been trying to do is get the language language right to start with, because people, they do rightly or wrongly put a lot of store in the words that come out of my mouth as the chief executive. So thinking about that kind of achieve driver, it's always very easy to kind of, make demands we want this done by X, Y, and Z. What I've been trying to focus on with my team and want to expand this to our leadership team and the broader staff cohort is a sense of kind of asking ourselves the questions rather than directing the answers and together asking the questions and, and making sure that colleagues feel it's a really delicate balance between colleagues feeling that they're part of something where the, the top team know what they're doing. You know they can trust the leadership, the leadership of taking us somewhere, but at the same time that they're not being directed and they're not being suffocated by um the kind of the culture of of delivery which is you know the focus on um how we can what we you know we get what we we get what we measure and we, we're counting all the time we're counting the numbers and actually the magic is somewhere between all of those numbers and finding that magic i think is i talk about this a lot i think some of that my executive colleagues sometimes particularly if they're used to working with numbers they're thinking she's lost her mind this this woman has lost her mind but i i actually think that they they get it when you give them examples and the sort of examples i i was talking to our finance director the other day and we were talking about how do we engage diverse voices in some of the the challenges we've got so in particular when we're looking at what the priorities are or how we're going to address the things that matter most to us then finding a way to do that by bringing in colleagues from finance from hr from the front line together as small groups to try and almost like action learn what they can achieve without us being there as exec going, this is what you must do. So I think showing some vulnerability as part of that is key too. So, you know, I think there's a sense that you're the chief exec and you're the executive team. So, you know, it all, and you're not allowed to kind of have slight fears or, or, or not be certain. And some of that kind of sense of you moving forward as an organization, with a kind of open mind about what's possible and a listening mind with our, with colleagues and finding ways and mechanisms to get people to give you their view instead of just thinking that you've got the answer. And that vulnerability helps actually go, look, I'm Sinead, I've got this job to do and, and you're doing your job. I can't do your job. You do your job much better than I could ever do it. And together, let's talk, you know? And that, that's, I think, how we build great organisations.
0: Yeah. We talk about dialogue and the power of dialogue, um, and there's been a lot of work done around sort of quantum leadership, and how you know you can allow the system, the living system, to have that quantum entanglement, and how dialogue uh, is just a very powerful way of just listening, really listening, and empathizing, connecting, really helps those connections, those inner connections. So. We've talked in our sessions together, in our coaching together, we've talked about tensions, haven't we, and how we can use tensions and how we can play with tensions rather than trying to collapse the tension quickly into a kind of right-wrong, how to hold space for the tension. And you talk there also about diversity and bringing diversity in different voices. And, of course, what so- tends to happen and sometimes why we don't wish to bring in diversity is that things then open up uh, and get a bit like, whoa, uh, and it's holding space for that. Feeling, um, which of course again requires a level of courage inside your own self as a leader.
1: Yes, it, it certainly does, and I, I I think my natural kind of proclivity is harmony. If if I'm honest, you know I can feel myself cleaving to wanting to to get everyone happy and everyone doing the same, you know, all, all agreeing with the way forward. And then uh, I suppose since we've been talking, I've been I've been really aware of the kind of naturalness of the environment at work. You know, being more connected to its natural cycles and flows and and the fact that things emerge when you you don't try and drive it. And that has been very much on the forefront of my mind. So there have been times when I can feel the tension building and I'm absolutely actively stopping myself from stopping it or from taking it or, or answering the question, yes, that was a great idea, but let's take it this way. I understand you might feel that's a bit awkward, but let's do this. I can do it fairly elegantly, I would guess, but actually why just, why not leave it? And I've had some one-to-ones with my colleagues over the last few days for the end of year reviews. And I've been able to say to some of them, you know, when you say, I find that this is the elephant in the room or I'm really uncomfortable about this, despite the fact people feel uncomfortable about it, I need you to keep doing that because that will create the change and we will grow as a team when we are strong enough to take that. So I've even said to my team, look, you know, I am gonna actively hold space for tension. So if you feel it's awkward, then I'm not gonna intervene and be the mom anymore.
0: Wow, that is interesting. Because of course that requires a level of courage inside yourself. And what I'm hearing there is it's starting to allow others to sort of get comfortable. Because what we're doing is actually getting comfortable with being uncomfortable. Yeah. Uh, I know that sounds funny. Um, and you're right, the sort of ego in us always wants to try and solve the discomfort. And it reminds me of, uh, of a powerful video I sometimes share with coaches around jo- what John Cleese um, has done on the video. Um, I think I shared it with you as well, Sinead, didn't I? The John Cleese video, where he um, talks about actually, you know, delaying a lot of the decisions that you make for as long as possible until you actually need to. And in that pondering time he talks about all sorts of creativity comes in and it's funny isn't it because the ego just wants to uh, solve things and then we feel more comfortable and then we can move on but in the process we're actually stifling life itself Mm. and so what you're doing by helping hold those tensions is you're creating and enlivening the system of aspire for it to emerge and evolve in its own way you know so there's something about then listening to the system And I don't know if you can speak to that a bit about the, you know, you've been a really core anchor, really, and channel and catalyst for Aspire for so many years. When you listen to the organisation as a living system and you sense its purpose, do you ever find yourself purposefully doing that?
1: I do. And I find myself... It's usually in times when, say I'm in a car and I'm not listening to music and I'm driving away from something, I'm reflecting on what I've seen. And it's often when I've, like yesterday, we've opened our new training centre. We've, we've spent a quarter of a million upgrading our training centre with uh, um, Building for Growth funds as well involved. So, uh, you know, partner, LEP funding. And I was in, it's before we've properly launched it and we've got a party with staff next week where we're going to celebrate this together. And I was just there by myself looking and feeling and sensing the kind of and I I actually felt a physical feeling of you know this is you know this is the future for us this is the start of something bigger and better and and as I drove away and thinking about the people I'd met face to face because I've been doing so much remotely I'm kind of sensing that the organization is is needing more from us really needing more from me needing more from each other whilst at the same time um this work-life balance that we've got we've we've actually uh we've moved all of our contracts so everyone who can be is actually working from home con- contractually. I think that there's a sense that we just need to get together more. And and that when I do find myself in the room with others, I feel so inspired. I, I can't sit in a room and inspire myself. It just mm. doesn't work. But being in the physical presence with people, hearing their stories, I, I almost feel I'm a little bit unworthy of the task I've got because I feel as though it's just such a privilege and and that when you add in, if you think of you just talking to one person, they feel that strongly and so passionately about what they do. So proud of working for Aspire within the environments we can create and the neighbourhoods that we've got, you know, let's face it, massive challenges, but so much potential. It makes you feel just so blessed really that you've got this opportunity in your, my career to be part of something like that.
0: Yeah. And I think you're right, massive challenges, yet so much potential, it's keeping that potential in mind and how can we listen to that potential and allow it to come through. So I'd like to start finishing now with a bit about just about yourself. You know, you've talked about vulnerability and the importance of that. You've been going through your own changes as a leader. Can you speak to any examples of how you've felt able to become more vulnerable and as a result that's kind of helped?
1: I don't know whether it's a confidence thing or, or because like you know, however many years I am, I am in now as a chief executive, I feel like I'm so different now than I was when I first started in two thousand and six, and I know that in five years' time I'll feel different again. So I think there's something about this kind of um, emotional honesty, and I, I feel that that is kind of really important that that you are emotionally honest so you know if there's been things going on in my personal life I will be professional and I will deal with the what's in front of me professionally but privately I will tell my colleagues that there's something going on that there's you know I, I've got something I'm concerned or worried about that I'm trying to handle and I and then what happens is they will tell me you know they will share something about themselves that wouldn't have come out and in that moment it not only you know makes me feel more kind of human because I think well obviously, obviously I know this isn't you know having some of the struggles or challenges whether it's about your kids or your family or whatever is normal but until you hear someone give their examples about what's going on in their lives that they wouldn't have said if I hadn't have shared my vulnerability and then there's that sort of sense of in the moment when you know I kind of think that I, I'm, I'm generally quite good at keeping calm you know I've kind of I, I'm almost like the trained calm professional in Give me anything and I can't, I've got to have a poker face and go, it's going to be okay, because I've seen it all and done it all, you know, all the kind of challenges, the things that can go wrong, I'm sure in 15, 16 years have hope. (laughs) And so I'm kind of really good at handling myself. But actually, if you're not careful, you become this, this robot and you don't share what you're feeling. So when I have these little moments of where frustration comes out and they are very small and they, they are a little bit uncharacteristic, let's say, I think, I'm sure my team would say they were, let's hope so. I think in that moment going, hang on, guys, I think I just lost it a little bit there. I'm sorry. and And that's, you know, we're all human. And showing that instead of being this perfect chief executive who's got all the answers who drives this through these results well actually it's not all about you it's all about everybody within Mm. that organization that you serve
0: yeah i agree and the more we show that humility and uh, and vulnerability coming through actually it forms the very connections Um, that create the creativity we need so to finish now and I I really enjoyed this conversation Sinead I I, I knew I would and thank you your energy is lovely so thank you for all of the sharing but I just wanted to ask you first sort of any insights that might have come out of our time together uh, conversations we've had over the last few months and second if there's anything in particular that you think you might want to leave other leaders with you know like one or two tips to think of as we enter these increasingly difficult times.
1: I think, thanks Giles. I mean, I've really enjoyed our conversation too. So I I really, it's my favourite subject. So um, you're indulging me by letting me speak about it. Um, I suppose what I would say is um, tips kind of have more of a sense of my place in the world. So kind of the idea of regenerative leadership and being part of the, you know, the the natural cycles, whether it's in the organisation or in the wood outside, it makes me feel as a sort of, both small and big. Kind of small in terms of everything that I'm going through is 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 part of one bigger picture, and that kind of bigger. Trans, you almost like can transcend it and see it better. Almost like take take out some of the the feelings of you're on some sort of journey that you're completely out of control of. You're actually um, part of something bigger. And and I think there's something really powerful about that. And my 3 a.m. thoughts, you know, when I do wake up at 3 a.m., those are the sort of things I like to think about that when I, you know, when I retire, when I stop doing what I'm doing, I've got to look back on this and I've got to have a sense that that I had the impact I wanted to and that and that I was an enabler of change rather than I got an MBE or I, you know, I, I got I finished on a salary of X or Y. It's actually about the legacy we leave. And if we think like that, then we probably make wiser choices now. Mm. Um, and I suppose in terms of uh, any any tips, I just think um, be human and enjoy it.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think enjoyment is an underrated factor in business these days. I mean, it, it just loosens us all up. It makes us more engaged and engaging. So thank you. You've brought a healthy dose of enjoyment to this conversation. It's been a real pleasure, Sinead. So thank you very much for your time today. Thank you.
1: Thank you, Giles. It's been great. It's been real fun.
0: (laughs) For more on Leading by Nature, you can follow me, Giles Hutchins, on LinkedIn and visit gileshutchins.com for free downloads of tools and practices for regenerative leadership and future fit business. Also, watch out for my latest book, Leading by Nature, The Process of Becoming a Regenerative Leader.